one. The whole chapter. So David asks, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and he was summoned to David. The king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. The king said, is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, well, there remains a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, and he fell on his face and did obeisance. David said, Mephibosheth. He answered, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. He did obeisance and said, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food to eat. But your master's grandson Mephibosheth shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's, sons, Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Judy already read the scripture we're going to look at. I'll just try and fill it out a bit. Is that better? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it makes a difference. It makes a, a difference. difference. Yeah. Okay. The Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, wrote, The law was given through Moses. And then he also wrote, Grace and truth were given through Jesus Christ. It looks as if the two are in opposition. And yet the Bible is one book. It has an old Testament and the New Testament. And someone was smart enough to put it this way to understand it a bit better. The New, New Testament, is in the Old concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. The New is in the Old contained. The Old is in the New explained. Now this story of 13 verses is embedded in the Old Testament in a very bloody period 
there was upheaval, there was wars, there was changes of kings and everything. And it's almost a New Testament gospel story of the grace of God encapsulated in 13 verses in the Old Testament. It's a story about God's grace and new beginnings, that your status can be changed. Now, there's many stories that show how God changed the circumstance of people from being at the bottom and elevated to the top. One that comes to mind was Joseph. He came from prison to the palace in one day. And it wasn't a dream for him then. Daniel was another one. He was a captive in Babylon. And he became prime minister because of dreams. And there was David. He was a keeper of sheep. And yet he became king. It was a process and a long one. I think he had a pretty hard one. The one we want to look at is Mephibosheth. A young man with a name that's worse than mine. Or hard to decide. He was the son of Jonathan. And he was King Saul's grandson. To get the picture, we'll go back to the time of Goliath, big golly coming on the scene, mocking God and the army of Israel. Now at that time, King, uh, sorry, Saul was king. And why he was king? His biggest attributes were he was the tallest in the land and he was good looking. And people had to look up to him. He started somewhat humble, but with power and authority, he was tempted to exploit that, and he became proud, arrogant, and disobedient. And as he embraced the pride, he grieved away the Holy Spirit that was upon him. And God decided that he would find another man to be king. Someone whose heart was set towards God. And so he sends him out to a man called Jesse. And Jesse had quite a few boys. And he said, you're going to find the next king there. So Samuel goes off and they have a... Whenever a prophet comes, they either have a celebration or something. And so he specifically asks Jesse to come along with his sons. And he's looking for Saul's replacement. When Saul, uh, Jesse lines up his sons from the oldest and the biggest to the smallest down and introduces them, Samuel is so impressed with number one son, Eliab. He looks at him and his stature and his build and he thinks that must be God's next king. And God whispers to him, don't look at his size or his, his appearance because I don't look at that, I look at the heart. That's what I sent you for. Have you forgotten what happened to Saul? So he goes through the first one and he goes through all seven. 
And then he turns to Jesse because he's thinking, God sent me here, but none of these. And he says, Jesse, is that all you got? And Jesse says, well, there is another one. He's kind of the runt in the family. He's out there looking after the sheep. He's the youngest. Samuel says, well, bring him in because we can't start until he comes. As soon as David appears, God says, that's the man, except he was only a youth at the time. That's the one. His heart is towards me. So David is anointed. Samuel gets out his holy oil, pours it all over David, and you'd think that his brothers would have referred to him a little. Well, it didn't happen. David was sent out to take the lunches to his brothers that were fighting with Saul against the Philistines. And they had a funny way of fighting. One group, the Philistines were on one hill, the Israelis were on another hill, there was a valley in between, and they shouted insults at one another. And the Philistines, they had a secret weapon. They had a, a big fella, big golly. And he was wheeled out in the morning and every afternoon, and he harangued the Israelis. And he mocked God that they couldn't find anyone to fight him. Send me a man to fight, and if he wins, we're your slaves, and if I win, you're our slaves. Every time Big Goli stepped out and made his boast, the Israelis trembled because they didn't want to be sent to fight him. Now, you'd think Saul would be the one who would fight him. He was the tallest. But no, not Saul. David heard that and he was angry. And he thought, well, who's going to fight him? Nobody. Well, I'll go and do it. So the news filtered back to Saul and Saul said, well, bring him here and I'll equip him properly. And he put all his armor on him and poor David, he couldn't move. He said, I can't, I can't even go, let alone fight. So he took her all off. And what did David do? He took his staff, a stick, and some stones and a sling. And he went out. When Begoli saw that a youth was coming out to fight him, he was annoyed. I mean, he's a man of war, and he sent, they sent a youth, and he's got, it looks like a toothpick. It's a stick, and he's got a stone. What, what kind of fight is that going to be? And Big Golly, he never went to school much, so he didn't remember or never was taught the adage that sticks and stones break bones, but words, they don't hurt you. It's not true, but anyway, he didn't know that. He should have seen it because David wasn't afraid of his boasting for a start. And if he had noticed, he would realize that David's got a stick and a stone. And big golly, he just dismissed that and he stepped forward. And what usually happens when Goliath stepped forward, people move back. He knows that. So he steps forward and he's going to make mincemeat out of David. 
But David didn't step back. He ran towards him. And he put the stone in his sling. And this is something that never happened to Goliath before. And that stone entered his head. That never entered, something like that never entered his head before either. And so he fell to the ground. Then David ran over, because all he had was a stick and a stone. He had to take his own sword out to relieve him of the migraine that he was going to suffer. And he removed his head. Well, the Philistines, when they saw that, their champion beaten by a youth with a stick and a stone, and they looked up and they were the men up there. This was only a youth. Imagine what they could do with a stick and a stone. So they turned tail and ran, and the Israelis ran down after them, and they had a great victory on that day. Anyway, after killing Goliath, David is brought to Saul and Saul interviews him and the Bible says now when he had finished speaking to Saul the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul Saul took him that day and would not let him go home then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. That was the way they used to make covenants. There's a few other things involved. When you read through the Bible, it's only illustrating a couple. But they made a covenant, which meant that they were blood brothers, if you like, or they would look after each other because they were on the same spiritual wavelength. They had a, a, an affinity towards each other. They also had, a spirit, they were on the same spiritual wavelength. And so the covenant was made between them. As Saul became more stubborn, more proud, and more deaf to God's word, he also became jealous of David. When they came back from a mission, the women used to come out and sing the latest songs. And they sang, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. And that really annoyed Saul. He started to look at David as the opposition. He may have heard that Samuel had anointed another king. And he realized that maybe the kingdom will move away from him. So he started to view David with an evil eye. And he tried to kill him. And there's many ways that this sort of thing happened. After a while, David got the impression that he wasn't wanted around the palace. So he went and hid outside hiding while Saul chased him from pillar to post. In between that time, Jonathan came to him uh, surreptitiously, and Jonathan was more in tune with what God wanted than with what Saul wanted. He knew what Saul wanted. He wanted Jonathan to take his place when he was ready to leave the kingship. But Jonathan was aware that David 
had the Spirit of God with him. He did everything that he was sent out to do, and he completed it all. And he knew that David was going to be king. That was God's plan. But he was worried also because he asked him to renew the covenant or make clear what was involved. And he said to him, when you're king, if anything happens to me, I want you to look after my family, to show kindness to my descendants, just in case. You see, it's something we have to remember. The Israelis wanted a king to be like other nations. Well, other nations did certain things when they changed kings. And one of the things they did was eliminate everyone from the previous administration. When a new king comes on the scene, he rounds up all the old king's family and he eliminates them so that there won't be any pretenders to the throne to effect a coup. So he removes everyone who's a threat. And Jonathan understands this. So he says, David, I want you to show kindness to anyone that's left of my family. And David makes a promise that he will do that. Well, in the fullness of time, the Philistines gather their armies again to fight Israel. This went on constantly. It's always there at this time. God must send him. <laughs> anyway, um, so they were fighting together, and this time the Philistines won. Saul and his three sons are slain on the same day, including Jonathan. And Saul's family is pretty well wiped out. Also, a civil war starts to rage. Saul's supporters against David's supporters. Abner, who's the general of uh, Saul's army, installs Ispasheth, who is Saul's last remaining son, as king over Israel, which was 11 tribes. And David was made king over one tribe, Judah. Ispasheth doesn't last long. He's killed after Abner is assassinated by his own men. David, when he hears word of that, he executes the murderers and he becomes the undisputed king of Judah and Israel, all 12 tribes. When he became king over all Israel, he constantly, for a while, for a few years, he had to fight. He fought the Philistines, the Syrians, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalcan, <laughs> Amalekites, the only one missing is the Vegemites. But he subdued all. They were either paying tribute or they were under their thumb. And now David is at the top of his power. And he has time to think back of his good friend, the one he loved, and Jonathan. And he starts thinking, I made a promise to show kindness to his offspring. But how do I find them? He can't advertise on Facebook. But here's the point. If anyone was left of Saul's house, 
if they had any brains, they'd be hiding because they know how the game's played. One dynasty removes the other one. So he'd be hiding. He finally finds a servant that worked in Saul's house called Ziba, and he tells him, yes, there is a son, but he's lame on his feet. And he lives in Lodabar. Lodabar means a place of no pasture. It's a place that tourists don't visit. It's a place where nothing much grows. It's a God-forsaken place. But it's a good place to hide if you're of the other dynasty. So Ziba knows the game as well. So that's why he made the point. Not only is he lame because it's true, but what he's saying is, he's not a threat to you. He's not going to form an uprising. He can't even walk upright. In Samuel 4.4, it tells us what caused Mephibosheth's condition. It says this, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came that they were killed. And his nurse took him up and fled. She knew what happens too. And it happened that she made haste to flee, that he fell, and he became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now it's a real tragedy. You've got a crippled man hiding in fear, lest David discover him. And he's also poor, and he's in someone else's house. He's crippled, he's fearful, he's hiding, and he's poor. That was Mephibosheth's condition. And it's similar to our condition before God sought us out. Some say, oh, I'm not crippled. Religion's good for people if they need a crutch, but I, I can stand on my own two feet. And we make ourselves feel good by comparing ourselves with others who are worse than ourselves. Some may be better, but we compare with the worst ones. You know, they're really crooked. I'm only a little bent. Problem is, God doesn't measure us that way. He doesn't measure us by each other. Just take the Ten Commandments and measure yourself against them. And that's the bare minimum. God's standard is much higher than that. And in the Sermon on the Mountain, when Jesus was speaking about this sort of thing, he points out how far short people come of that standard, the Ten Commandments. And he said, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed it. In other words, because you didn't do the deed, because you were scared and you never had the opportunity, if you lusted in your heart, you've done it. He looks inwardly. And then another one, he says, and if you, what is it? You've heard it said, you shouldn't commit murder or killing. But I say unto you, if you hold anger in your heart, without just cause, some say, 
then you've done the same as killed them because God looks at the heart. And having someone cut you off in traffic, that's not a just cause to be angry and kill them. So, we were crippled as well as Mephibosheth. We hid from God. We didn't go and seek him out, except when we were desperate. But otherwise, we were quite happy to leave God where he is and him to leave us where we are. And we were fearful. If we did come to God, you don't know what he has in store for us. You don't know what we'd have to rectify, what we'd have to change. So we were fearful. And we were poor. Maybe our bank account said, no, you're not poor, you've got plenty. But... As far as God goes, we were poor. We had nothing that recommended us to God. We were like Mephibosheth. So what does David do? He sends out his people to bring Mephibosheth to the palace. When Mephibosheth turns up, he prostrates himself because he's fearful. He's been hiding for nearly... 15 years at least he's been hiding and now he's found out so he's fearful and it's interesting that the assumptions he had regarding David were based on ignorance maybe what he heard from Saul when uh, his grandfather was there in the palace because David wasn't going to kill him he was going to bless him he was included in the covenant with Jonathan. So David says, fear not. Don't fear, Mephibosheth. I want to show you kindness for Jonathan's son. I'm going to restore the lands of your grandfather to you. And you're going to eat at my table continually. David showed him mercy by not doing what kings normally do, which is eliminating anyone from the old kingdom. And David showed him grace by restoring to him what was lost. Sometimes mercy and grace are interchangeable, but there is a subtle difference. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve, and grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Now, David didn't even know Mephibosheth. Now he just found out about him. But he knew his father, Jonathan. And any son of his is a friend of mine, said David. And you can eat bread at my table continually. And what does Mephibosheth do? He calls himself a dead dog. Now, dogs weren't like Fido's that we have. You know, we have them in the house and all that. At that, dogs were, they were a no-no. A dead dog was something that was pleasing if you saw it, deserved it, you know. So his appearance, uh, sorry, his response appears like it's an exaggeration, not just worthless. But you can't live in fear for years, hiding, in poverty, and crippled, and it not have an effect on your self-esteem. And you may think of yourself as worthless. But David says, no, you're not worthless to me. You're going to sit at my table with my sons continually. 
and now he can live openly amongst God's people, doesn't have to look over his shoulder to see if he's being found out, and you can continually eat at my table. You don't have to go back to that place, Lodabar, where there's no pasture. And in a sense, we were like him, hiding fearful, lame and poor before our God. We were separated because of what our ancestors did. Adam, he, he caused it, he started. But we also choose to hide because we compounded the problem. We made our own mistakes. You can't blame Adam for what he did. We chose to live and to hide from God. But we gain more in Jesus than we ever lost in Adam. So I just want to finish with um, a question. Are we showing up for dinner at the king's table? Wouldn't it be odd if everyone sat down for dinner and David looked across and the Fibbersheth's spot is empty? And he wonders, asks, where's Mephibosheth tonight? Oh, Mephibosheth, he decided to go to McDonald's and order a Big Mac. David would question his sanity and he'd question the set of his heart. He can eat at the king's table and he's filling himself with fast food? What's wrong with him? And you know, we can avail ourselves of God's fellowship continually. He leaves it open for us. We can always come before him and fellowship with him. Because eating is one thing. Fellowship while you're eating is even better. And yet, we too get sidetracked by the shiny objects that the world offers. And we get sidetracked and we don't turn up at the king's table. It shouldn't be like that. Because the world can offer an awful lot of shiny objects and they change fashion all the time. But we have an invitation to eat at the king's table and fellowship with him continually, like the Fibbersheth had. I'll finish there. Just pray for You want me to finish in prayer?